0: You know, one of the stories of the Bible in the Old Testament that I I used to love, we used to sing a song about this. Remember the story of the Battle of Jericho? Did you all ever sing that song? Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho, tumbling down. And everything was about the walls come tumbling down. You know, and you would think that was the focus of the Battle of Jericho. And as I was reading it uh, just this last week, preparing for this message, I, I caught something that I really hadn't caught before. And I thought about, you probably have experienced this before. You're in a conversation with someone... And you're focused on trying to tell them how to do something. And as you're focused on trying to tell them how to do something, they're focused on something else. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like, and you're trying to get through to them, trying to make sure they're paying attention. But the more you talk to them and try and explain it to them, you get the idea that they are not really listening. And so as I read through the story, ...of the battle of Jericho, you have to remember just a little bit of background to this battle. First of all, they've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And they've done that because the first time they came up, they sent in 12 spies, decided on a vote of 10 to 2... ...that they would not go in. And as a result, God was displeased and said, you're going to wander in this wilderness for 40 years... Until all of the men over 30 are going to die in the wilderness because of their refusal to obey me and trust me. Only Joshua and uh, Caleb. Yeah, we should know Caleb. He's, he's a part of our church. Caleb. Uh, Joshua and Caleb uh, voted yes. Said, we can do this. And so they didn't go in. As a result, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And then as they wandered, remember, Moses disobeyed God, struck the rock twice. And as a result, God did not allow Moses to go into the promised land. Pretty harsh. And yet the rock was a picture of Christ. So everything that God was doing in the Old Testament, especially as they were in the wilderness, was a picture of something. And Jericho... Was the first city they faced. And Joshua was the new leader. He took over for Moses. And Joshua was about to have his first major test as a leader. And so God began to explain to Joshua exactly how they would take the city. And now you have to realize the city of Jericho had not been taken. It was called the impenetrable city because of the wall. The wall was 15 feet thick and 24 feet high. Now, that's a wall. You know, it would be difficult for a bulldozer to get to a 15 feet thick, solid stone wall. That would be difficult. So no wonder they call it impenetrable. And so as God was telling Joshua how they were going to get into the city, Joshua's focus was, was that wall. He was like, Lord, how are we going to get this city? How are we going to take this city? This, this city has a big wall. You know, as, as you read this, we're going to read it in just a second. God is not in the least bit concerned about the wall. He's concerned about what happens when they get on the other side of the wall. And so Joshua and God are talking and God is trying to explain to him, this is important what happens after you get in. And Joshua is like, how are we going to get in? Look at it. We're going to read it in Joshua 6. Pick up at verse 16. It says, the seventh time around, as the priests sounded, the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded his people, shout for the Lord has given you the town. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed, and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. Now, some reason, as he's describing what would happen and how they needed to handle this, you know, you, you can probably imagine the people are just not really focused. They've marched around the city six days in complete silence. And now, on the seventh day, they've marched around the wall six times. And just before the seventh time, they're just about to complete their mission. And they're just about to shout. You can, you can tell there's a lot of anticipation. And yet God wants to talk to them. And Joshua is following instructions here about what you do when you get in. And he made it real plain. It's, it's amazingly simple. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns... They shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly, the walls of Jericho collapsed. 15 feet thick, 24 foot tall, and the walls just collapsed. And the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it with their swords, men, women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, Keep your promise, go to the prostitute's house, bring her out along with all of her family. Then the men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brother, and all her other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. Then the Israelites burned the town and everything it. Only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, and iron were kept for the treasury of the Lord's house. So it looks like it was a complete victory. It looks like total domination, complete victory. God did exactly what he said he would do. They would march around the city. They would shout. They would blow the ram's horn. And the walls would come down. And they did. And they came in and they did everything. Except... Somebody didn't listen. Now, they didn't know it at this point. It looks like it was a small, insignificant incident. So they moved to the next town, a little town, Ai. Very small town. It doesn't have a wall around it. It should be no problem. So they only send 3,000 men to attack the small city of Ai. Ai. And yet, the men of Ai completely rout and defeat Israelites and they lose 36 men in battle. The first men lost in battle. And literally, the men of Ai are chasing God's people back. And when they get word of what has happened... All of Israel is moaning and groaning. Whoa, what are we going to do? How is this going to happen? How are we going to take the whole nation, this whole area? How are we going to take this promised land if we can't take the city of Ai? And so everybody's on their face before God. Moaning and groaning. And God speaks and says, get up. Get on your feet. There's problems. Someone has not followed my instruction someone has taken that which is devoted to the Lord someone didn't listen to my instructions now that person could have stood up and said I'm the one but you know they thought how are they going to figure out (laughs) how is God going to know what I did and so they had to go through this process of one tribe at a time then they finally picked the right tribe And then they go from family to family to family to family. And finally they choose one family and Joshua looks at him and his name is Achan and he says, Achan, why? Why did you do it? And here's his answer. It's in chapter seven, verse 20, 21. It says, Achan replied, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon. 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them. They are hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the silver buried deeper than the rest. And I hate to report to you that the whole family was stoned to death. And I can remember the first time I read that story. I said, hold it. I've read the book of Leviticus, And I can't find one incident where stealing had the consequence of death. It was never that harsh. So I had to realize something else was going on. Something was going on here that God was trying to say that was important. And I would say to you today that... God still has this message that he wants to speak to the church, and that is first things matter to God. First things are important to God. I think we're going to see why as we go through this message. First things have always been important to God. And so we're going to look at some principles. The first principle, and that is the first governs all of the rest. The first governs all of the rest. I want to read to a passage in the New Testament, of all places. Could look We could look at Old Testament, but I want you to see in Romans 11, verse 16, what it says. It says, since Abraham and the other patriarchs were holy, their descendants will also be holy. That's interesting. Just as the entire batch of dough is holy, because the portion given as an offering is holy. For if the roots of the tree are holy, the branches will be too. God is establishing a principle throughout His Word, and He confirms it throughout His Word, that the small portion which is dedicated or given to God, devoted to God, then that portion becomes holy. And then that person, that portion, the first part, makes the rest Holy It affects all the rest. It sets the direction for all the rest. It's interesting because most of you do you remember a guy named Yasser Arafat? He was a PLO leader. And there was a peace accord that he signed, and most uh, historians believe he was later killed. Uh, assassinated because uh, that he signed this peace treaty with Israel. But I always found it amazing that in the negotiations and the final settlement, Yasser Arafat demanded one city that he would have, the PLO would have complete and total control of that city. And you would think it would be Jerusalem, which is the primary city. But no, it wasn't. Where was it? It was Jericho. Why Jericho? Because Yasser Arafat knew the principles that the first represented all of the rest. Jericho was the first city. And as far as he was concerned, the first represented everything else. And if he could have the first, he felt like that was a symbolic gesture of him owning everything because it's always been their goal to own everything and to wipe Israel out. So the first represents or governs all the rest. The second principle and that is the first represents the totality. And and you see this where if they had to have a meeting and they, they had to have a meeting of all the representatives, who would they send to represent a tribe? They would send the firstborn. We have a tendency to do the same thing. The firstborn of the oldest son would be the representative of the family. And that's the way they did. Uh, the, the same thing that uh, God would always see to it that the first represented the totality. It's very similar to what Romans is telling us there as we read in Romans 11, how the, the first part, it represented or it set the direction for the totality. And so here it is again, the same idea. Not only does the first govern the rest, but the first actually represents all of the rest. The third thing, and that is the first always belongs to God. Say that with me. The first always belongs to God. I was in a pastor's conference one time, this was years ago, and, and there were about 3,000 pastors there. And one of the interesting things the leader did, he said, uh, how many pastors here today? And there were about 3,000 pastors. He said, how many of you men here today are firstborn sons? And what amazing. Over 90% of the pastors stood up. And he said everywhere he goes, he said it's the same percentage. High 90% of pastors are firstborn sons. And the reason is God has a special calling on that firstborn, especially the firstborn son. Why? Because the first always belongs to God. It is something that he claims. It is something he says belongs to Him, and we're going to see why in just a moment. Let's look at a couple of verses. These are Old Testament verses, but I believe it still shows us this is important. Leviticus 27, verse 28 and 29, it says, However, anything especially set apart for the Lord, whether a person, an animal, or family property must never be sold or bought back. And and it's referring to something that's devoted to God or given to God as the first part. Anything devoted in this way has been set apart as holy, and it belongs to the Lord. So it couldn't be bought back. You couldn't take it back. It now belonged to God, and you couldn't change your mind, in essence. It belonged to God, and once it belonged to God, that was it. It goes on to say, no person, especially set apart for destruction, may be bought back. Such a person must be put to death. And that is what happened in the case of Achan. Remember, if you go back and look at the instruction of God to Moses, excuse me, God to Joshua, when he was explaining, he said, anybody who takes... Anything that belongs to God, the gold, the silver, and all those things, he said, if anybody takes that, they're going to be under destruction. They're doomed to destruction. Why? Because they've taken that which belongs to the Lord. And there's no way that that can be undone. Very interesting. Because what you would see, and that is God established a principle that the firstborn not only represented, not only did the firstborn, uh, it, it governed all the rest, but because it belonged to the Lord, it was special, it was holy. Look at one other passage, it's an Exodus, interesting, Exodus 13, it says, and it, sh- and it shall be, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that opened the womb, That is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the male shall be the Lord. But every firstborn of a donkey, and the donkey here represents an unclean animal. But the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a what? Lamb. That's interesting. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. Why? Because this belongs to the Lord. It could not be redeemed. You couldn't undo this. If you're not going to redeem it back with the land, then it has to be, it had to be killed. All the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So he would require that any sons had to be redeemed. God was not into killing any children. And it's interesting because remember Abraham. God said, I want you to sacrifice your son, Isaac. Because he was the firstborn. Isaac belonged to God. He was the firstborn. And I believe that's the reason Abraham believed that God would redeem him. That God would make a way for him not to have to, not to die. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But throughout his word, this simple principle that the firstborn belonged to God... And here's the interesting thing. If it was firstborn animal and it was a clean animal, then the firstborn had to be given to the Lord. You couldn't undo that. Couldn't choose, couldn't pick and choose between good and bad. That firstborn of the clean animals had to be given to the Lord. But the unclean animals could be redeemed, but had to be redeemed with the lamb. Now you, you think, okay, why is God getting all hung up in these small rules, I just want you to understand everything he's doing in the Old Testament is getting us ready for Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about who Jesus would be to us. And the picture that he's painting in the minds of the hearts, and that is... The unclean is redeemed by the clean. The unclean is redeemed by the lamb. And he would do that every year at Passover. That same idea is there. And so I wanted to talk to you just a little bit about how the first redeems the rest, redeems the rest. And this is important, not just represents, not just governs, not that it just belongs to God, but really this is where God has always been focusing, and that is the first redeems all of the rest. Remember the story of the Passover? Where they would gather on Passover, and what was the Passover? It was the remembrance of the day that they came out of Egypt. And that they had how many plagues? Ten plagues, remember? But one plague was the plague that redeemed them. And that was the plague or the act of the firstborn. God was going to take the firstborn. But, here again, he's staying true to his principle. The firstborn could be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so they would take all the the family, and put them inside the house, put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, and that would redeem or allow the death angel that would pass over. And so they would be redeemed. They would be saved. They would be safe because of the blood of the lamb. And every year, they would, the families of Israel would do this. They would take a lamb... They would sacrifice that lamb. They would take that blood. They would cook the the lamb. And they would eat that lamb. And they would remember what would happen. And what happened at Passover. I want to show you this. It's interesting. Because God showed them that on that day, and, and, and as you read that story, it's interesting because the children would say, okay, why are we doing this? And God said, I want you to tell your children that this is a remembrance of the Passover. This is a remembrance. And what was God saying? He was saying, tell your children, the blood of the Lamb redeems all of the unclean. And that should speak volumes to us. Because Jesus is the Lamb of God that redeems us who are all sinful and guilty and unclean. You see, all of this has always been about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. You know, again, the story of the ten plagues. The tenth plague was the one that redeemed them the blood put on the doorpost. Abraham and Isaac. Look at the story in Genesis 22, the story of Abraham and Isaac. Again, a great example of the firstborn belongs to God and how he redeems with a lamb or a ram in this case. Genesis 22, verse 11, it says that that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. The angel said, do not hurt him in any way, for you know, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your own son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket, so he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of the son. And Abraham named the place Yahweh, Yara, which means the Lord will provide to this day. People still use that name as a proverb on the mountain of the Lord. It will be provided. We talked about this just a couple of weeks ago. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and not a withheld your son, your only son, I will swear by my name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky on the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you have obeyed me. Oh, because you obeyed me. What was God trying to say through the story of Abraham and Isaac? You see, God test us just like he tested Abraham. God wants to know, is he first in your life? Is he first in your life? God had to know about Abraham. Abraham, do you really believe that I'm first or... Is this son Isaac that you waited for so many years, is he first in your life? God had to know. If Abraham was going to lead the nation, he had to know that God was first. And so when he said, Abraham, take your son and sacrifice him. God had every right to do that because it belonged to him. He was the firstborn. But he also believed that God was able to redeem his son. And I wonder today if God is doing some things in your life to test your heart to see if he's really first. If he tested Abraham's heart, I guarantee you he will test your heart to see if, is he really first? Is he really the most important to you? You know, Isaac was Abraham's cherished possession. The child of promise that he had waited for for so many years. And God will do that. Sometimes he will test you with the thing that you treasure the most. And say, are you willing to give that up? And sometimes we waver and we say, oh, Lord, anything but that, nothing but any, uh, Lord, I'll give you anything. But, Lord, don't don't touch that area. Please, Lord, could we talk about something else? And yet God focuses in on the thing that is most precious to you because he wants to make sure that he's first. Because when he's first, he redeems all of your life. That's the amazing thing, is the first literally redeems all of the rest. You know, a lot of people have questions about tithing. And once I understood the principle of redemption in the Bible concerning tithing, I came to realize That tithing had very little to do with money. It's true. Tithing has very little to do with money. It has everything to do with his firstness. It has everything to do with, is he first in my life? You see, what is my money? My money represents my life, my work, my talents, my abilities. Everything that I do, it's now translated into money. And when I give that first part... I'm giving a part of my life as a representative of my work. And when I do that, I'm saying, Lord, you are first. And this is God's promise. You saw it as we spoke it in Romans 11. He said, when you give that first part to God, it becomes holy. And then when that part becomes holy, it then causes the whole thing, the rest, to be holy also. You know, the whole issue of tithing is absolutely and completely impossible. Because God says this, He basically is saying, if you have a thousand dollars, then you take a hundred dollars, which is ten percent, and you give that to God, now, the 10% of the 100 dollars belongs to God he said that belongs to me and that represents the totality it governs the totality it that now when i given that to him now that has become holy and when that part becomes holy it now causes the whole thing to be redeemed or holy and now the 90% becomes special and i just a little illustration If if you had ten apples, which I have nine apples in this basket, and I have the tenth apple here. And the idea is that when you take the one, the one-tenth, and you give that to God, something happens dramatically. When you take that one and you come over... And you place it down and you cause this to be holy. Now, all of a sudden, this becomes holy. This becomes redeemed and holy because now this is holy. This is redeemed of the Lord. This has been devoted to the Lord. This 10%. Now, once I do that, now something happens to the 90%. Now, this becomes holy. And... I don't know how it happens. I don't know how it can possibly be. But God says this 90% will now go further than the original 100%. Now, I know if you're a math person and you do your math, you say, well, Brother Nate, that's impossible. I know that. But I also know God is the God of the impossible. And I also know that in the book of Malachi, he says, put me to the test. See, if I will not be able to do this, that if you will give me the 10%, that I will bless the 90%, and I will open the windows of heaven, and I will pour out a blessing. You won't even be able to handle it. Far above what you might dream or ask or think. And God will bless. Why? Because He is a God who honors those who honor Him. And once I... Got a hold of this principle, the principle of first things. I begin to realize God is not hung up with money. I mean, first of all, He owns it all anyway. (laughs) I mean, He owns everything we have. And I know I hear people say, well, I don't know, I I own, you know, I own this, I, I earn this, I work for this, I went to work. He gave you the breath to breathe. The talent to do it, the health, the walk there. He probably gave you the job and everything to do concerning that job. Whatever you do, he is the author of everything you do. And so what happens is that when that 10% is given to him, this is what you're saying. You're saying, God, I acknowledge that everything belongs to you. And also acknowledge that you have blessed me. And everything I have, you've done it. And so this 10% I give to you because you said this belongs to you. And when I do that, it honors the Lord. And here's the great thing. He says he redeems the rest. So I see it as a picture of me honoring the Lord. And what about Jesus. And here's the amazing story. This has always been about Jesus. Tithing is about Jesus. The firstborn has always been about Jesus. And we know that you can look at, first of all, Genesis 14, verse 18 through 20, it says in Melchizedek. The king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be the God Most High who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he has recovered. And I, whenever I read that, I realize all these people, they say, you know, tithing is under the law. It's just one of those legalistic. This was written 400 years before Moses ever gave the law. Before the law was ever written, Abram was paying tithes to Melchizedek as a symbol and a picture. And if you continue on, if even if you study in the book of Hebrews chapter 7, it shows it how Melchizedek is a picture and a symbol of Jesus. And when Abram was paying tithes to Melchizedek, he was also acknowledging his lordship. Revelation chapter 13 Verse 8 says this, All who dwell on the earth and will worship Him whose names have not been written in the book of life, slain from the foundations of the world. Who is the Lamb of God? It is Jesus. So the picture is simple. Jesus is the Lamb. You know, when God sent His Son, Jesus, to this earth... Of him it was spoken, he's the Lamb. The Lamb which takes away the sin of the world. Even John the Baptist said of Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God. What was unique about the Lamb? Once the Lamb was dedicated to the Lord, it couldn't be pulled back. An unclean animal could be redeemed. But the Lamb, Being the firstborn could not be held back. Could not change your mind. It was doomed to destruction. When Jesus came as the Lamb of God, He was the Lamb that would die the clean for the unclean. You see, redemption, the firstborn... It was always a picture of Jesus who would come and be redemption. A lot of people miss the whole point. They think God is hung up with money. They think God is up, you, know, you know, focused on the wrong thing. He, Jesus was destined to die for us. It's amazing to me. God followed his own rule. The firstborn had to die. When the firstborn was a lamb, the firstborn had to die. His son came to die for you and I. Because he knew you were unclean. He knew sin had invaded your life. You and I are all guilty before God. And the good news is, he wants to redeem you. He wants to redeem you. I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads just for a moment. I want you to think this morning with me how how you can make Him first in your life. Everything God has been speaking to us this morning has been making Him first in your life. I want to ask you to consider... Is God first in your life? You know, God will test you. Just like He tested Abraham, He will test you. And I want to encourage you today to make the decision that He would be first in your life. Lord, today I want to acknowledge You that You were the one who told us that first things were important. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, You reminded us that first things belong to You. And Lord, now we see it's always been about Jesus. Always been about Jesus. And how You gave Jesus, Your firstborn, Your only begotten Son. Firstborn among men. That He would redeem us, the unclean. And we would be redeemed and made holy. Because He is holy. And Lord, I thank You today. That You're speaking to hearts. Men and women, children that we would make you first in our life. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to honor you by making you first in our life in every area. Help us to give you the first part of every morning. We get up in the morning, Lord, help us to give you the very best part, the first part. And Lord, we even gathered here today on Sunday, the first day of the week. Because we want to give you the first part. But most of all, Lord, we want to give you the best part. Our hearts. We want to be redeemed and made holy by the blood of the Lamb. Lord, I thank you today. Help us, Lord, to make you first in our life. If you would join with me today, I just want to encourage you to raise your hands before the Lord and pray with me. We're going to pray just a simple prayer of putting Him first in our life. A decision to put first things first. Last week we talked about stewardship. Today we're talking about putting Him first. Pray out loud with me if you're willing to make that kind of decision. Lord Jesus, I love you. I put you first in my life. I want to honor you in every area of my life. Thank you, Lord, for helping me to put you first in every area. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Holy, holy, holy. I hope